It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome to the Third Coast Podcast. I'm Katie Mingle. You'll hear our weekly radio show, ReSound Here, as well as the occasional story curated recently from our audio library at thirdcoastfestival.org. The Third Coast Festival is a nonprofit organization whose livelihood depends in part on support from listeners like you. To find out how you can help or to check out all of the cool stuff we do apart from our radio show, visit our website, thirdcoastfestival.org. Thanks and enjoy the podcast. I think the place that radio takes you, it's the place inside another person. It's it's as though a door clicks and then creaks open, and in you go. From the Third Coast International Audio Festival and PRX, the Public Radio Exchange, I'm Gwen Maxi, and this is Best of the Best, the 2011 Third Coast Festival broadcast. The voice carries in an uncanny way everything we feel. The GOP has only itself to blame for people looking elsewhere. I don't know about this stuff yet. I'm not old enough to go through this yet. I don't think I have any family in Morocco. Good afternoon, Thunderbolt Entertainment. Hi, Derrico. Say hi, guys. When some sound or voice or music sneaks up on you and and spirits itself inside you, you can be transformed by that. Today we bring you the best audio documentaries of the year, the winners of our 2011 Richard H. Driehaus Foundation competition. Get ready for an audio feast. But before you dig in, just a little bit about us. The Third Coast Festival is an independent arts organization in Chicago dedicated heart, soul, and ears to great radio. All year long, we gather the best stories from around the world and share them in a variety of ways, on the radio, in a podcast, at live listening events, and every other way possible. And then we honor the very best radio of the year at our Third Coast Awards Ceremony in Chicago, this year hosted by Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me's Peter Sagel. The eight Third Coast Festival Awards we're about to give out were selected by 27 judges from among 300 entries from 12 countries, including South Africa, Italy, the Czech Republic, Germany, Australia, and the UK. On this special broadcast, we bring you the winning stories and the producers behind this remarkable work. I've always been much more interested in subjects who I don't know how I feel about them. I mean, that is Thunderbolt in a nutshell, you know. 
We start this hour with the winner of the Best Documentary Honorable Mention Award. Producer Katie Burningham had a chance encounter in a music shop that led to an enduring friendship on the dance floor. Here's her story, Heel, Toe, Step, Together. Hackney Central, Broadway Market. This is where I first met Bob Hill, at a record store. He said his wife, Iris, had passed away recently and that just yesterday he'd received a knock at the door. A new set of turntables had arrived, purchased for him by Iris and delivered after she died. You see, he said, Bob had sold his old disco set to take Iris on the QE2 and now she was returning the favour said he'd teach me how to dance if I liked. Dance? Yes. Dance. The waltz. Come by one morning and I'll show you. We'll have coffee and a waltz. Now, before we dance, we have to go to a dance school and we're both strangers and you've got to know the girl so first of all the hold you hold with your left hand or your right hand there and I put my hand on your shoulder blade there and you put your hand like that onto what flat palm yeah more or less just curved like like that so now we're ready to dance now the next thing you have to do is you have to learn to dance closely so it's like that now, in the day I was doing it, that was very naughty to do with girls. So what they did was, where did I put it? They used to put vinyl records and they would just place that just lightly on your tummy and I was there. Now, that had to stay there. Now, you've got to do this as a lady. You've got to do this. You've got to go heel, toe, toe, heel, toe, toe. But it doesn't really matter unless you want to be a professional dancer. Just make sure you do the one, two, three. One, two, three. My granddad lived at number 54 K Street, opposite a pub which had also a fish and chip shop on the other corner. With my mum and dad working all hours, my young life centred around Grandad's house. Saturday became party night. All and everybody invited. All you had to do was to sing a song. This was before radio or television. Our favourite were six lovely girls who played and danced until one day two went into a gent's toilet. When I told my dad, that's when I had her talking to about birds and bees. <laughs> they were all men. Oh dear. <laughs> my first dance? Slow dance at the school disco with George Swift. Dance to Celine Dion, and I sang the words as we moved. Regretted that on the way home. At tap dancing, 
The teacher said I sounded like an elephant. And when we performed Annie at the Wyvern Theatre, she put me in the back row. Bob says I'm to count as I walk, wherever I go. He does. So what are these? These are the medals that we got for doing bronze, silver and gold standard. You and Iris? Uh, Yeah, and I went one better. I went for a DTA. What's that? Dance Teachers Association. It meant I was capable, if I wanted to, to open up my own dance studio. (laughs) You never did? No, I never did, no. I wouldn't have done anything without Iris, and of course, you've got to remember, she was completely deaf in one ear. So there was lots of things like staccato. Now, when you're dancing a tango, you have to dance with this staccato rhythm, and that is when you're dancing along and you do a step, you go like that. She couldn't do that. If she did that, she'd both flop on the floor. So whenever we went in for any dance competition, we used to have to go up to the judge and say, I'll do it. But she can't. Now, you're a cool little girl sitting down there. Because I always look for a girl that's got funny shoes on. <laughs> I have this dance love. <laughs> and I say yes? Yeah, you just stand up. Now, what did I do? See, went back. You went with your left. But you've been practising this. <laughs> Am I getting better? Yeah. So the only thing is wrong here is the room, not giving me room to swing around. I've got to watch where the chairs are. Remember that, sometimes you can't always be going one way or the other because somebody's coming the other way. So your driver, instead of being able to go forward, he has to sort of pull you back. So don't happen very often. Dancing, we turn around and around in circles and I imagine my feet being swept off the ground. Now you did it then, (laughs) and you did it then. (laughs) See, it can be done. When we turn, I catch glimpses of faces looking out, faces from Bob's past and present. That was an excerpt from Heel Toe Step Together, winner of our Honorable Mention Award. It was produced by Katie Burningham with creative advisor Edwin Breeze and executive producer Alan Hall for Falling Tree Productions and BBC Radio 4. To hear the whole thing, waltz over to our website, thirdcoastfestival.org. The Best News Feature Award honors exceptional reporting, and that takes time, diligence, and perseverance. 
Reporter Marianne McCune spent an entire year trying to get permission to ride along with immigration officers as they tracked down people accused of immigration fraud. When she finally got clearance, she used the opportunity to tell this story from both sides of the door, the family who lives behind it and the officers who are called to break it down. The men and women who knock on illegal immigrants' doors and take them away in handcuffs are members of what are called fugitive operations teams. They often meet up before dawn, like on this Tuesday morning in the dim parking lot of a Queen's diner. All right, this morning we're going to be going after three targets. First on the list, a Moroccan couple living in East Elmhurst, Queens, Abe and Fatima. They ask that we leave out their last names. Both have been arrested for immigration fraud, conspiracy... Abe and Fatima are two of about half a million fugitive aliens, immigrants who've been officially told to leave the U.S., but have not done so. Radio check. The couple's home is just across the street from the entrance to Rikers Island, and Supervisor Darren Williams is caravanning toward it, along with half a dozen fugitive operations vehicles. Everyone has a story, that's what I say. Everyone has their own individual story that's unique to them. And I'll listen. You know, I'm not going to say I, I believe every story, but I do listen to to the stories. Abe and Fatima's story has many layers, but we'll start with their crime, marriage fraud. When Fatima moved to the U.S. to be with Abe, he was working legally and waiting for a green card. But the green card fell through, and by that time Fatima was pregnant with their first child— The two had been married in a mosque, but there was no official record. So when an American friend offered to get Fatima a green card by becoming her legal husband, they went for it. And they got caught. Fatima for the fake marriage, Abe for paying off the friend. She's uh, with a one-month baby. They come to us with this deal. Okay, the deal is plead guilty, no jail time. We give you a two-year probation, and we can go now. They pleaded guilty. What they didn't know was that marriage fraud is a felony. And under current immigration law, a conviction means an automatic order of deportation, regardless of the circumstances. Every lawyer we go, he said, you know, it was a big mistake, you plead guilty. You have no, no relief at all. After the probation, they were officially told to leave. By that time, they had two American children, and they chose to stay. And that's how almost a decade later... Abe and Fatima ended up a target of Darren Williams' fugitive operations team. Uh, about a quarter mile, we're making a right on 77th Street, which is a target block. At 6 in the morning, the agents gather in front of their building. The landlord lets them in. They head upstairs, press the bell on the couple's apartment, and Fatima appears. In jeans, a white sweatshirt, and a tangle of morning hair. So 6 o'clock in the morning, I'm trying to do my breakfast. I open Good morning, police. Fatima says she's been expecting this day for years. It's a good morning. Come on in. They cannot enter without consent, but Fatima cooperates completely. And she comes to wake me up and she say, they're here. I told her, so we leave in? She told me, yes, I think we leave in. In this moment, they're calm. But to Abe and Fatima, the idea of going back to Morocco is horrifying. This next layer of their story will give you an idea why. Fatima says she grew up in a lower-class, very traditional family in Morocco, under the rule of her father and six brothers. She couldn't choose her own clothes, watch television, or listen to music. When she tried to learn guitar... My father, he came, he broke it. Because I have no right. He told me, why, are you going to go play in the bars? 
In her 20s, she was able to move to France, but there, she says, she was under her brother's strict command. I dream to come to the United States. For me, it's freedom. It's the right place a woman can live. She can have all her rights. She can do whatever she wants. Abe was already living in the U.S. at the time. He was separated from his first wife, a Haitian-American, and says he was longing to start a family with someone more like him. So when his cousin in France told him about Fatima, he courted her over the phone. First time he talked to me, he told me, I trust my cousin. She said, good thing about you, so I want you like a wife. I said, listen, I'm not trying, you know, to have a girlfriend or pass time with you. If you're willing to put your hand in my hand and walk together, I would love to get married with you and want a family together. And I say, wow, that's the perfect man for me. I'm going to go to America. I'm going to be free and I'm going to raise my kids different than I was raised in Morocco. On the pretense of visiting family friends, Fatima made two secret trips to see Abe. And on the second... They got married on the way home from the airport. When he told his family, they disapproved of his choice, so he cut off ties. And when she called her brother... He was very upset. They told me everybody talking in Morocco about what you did. For them, it's like black spot and the family honor. I'm from there. I know how it is. It treat me, uh, if I see you, I'm going to kill you. So I give up. When I had my daughter and him, I said, this is my family now. I have to fight to stay here. Before immigration agents entered Abe and Fatima's home, they didn't know the couple had children. They have um, two young daughters. Team leader Raul Kanja steps out to give an update. We're going to leave the mother here, have a report later on. But Abe will come with them. They take him downstairs, away from his family, before they put his handcuffs on. Try to make it as smooth as possible for all concerned. As her husband is led out the building's front door, Fatima follows him to the bend in the stairs, finally losing hold of her calm. And outside, the city is just waking up. It's a tough job, but you know, we enjoy it. So it's just a daily routine. In the car on the way back to immigration headquarters at 26 Federal Plaza, Darren Williams says there are stories that move him. You know, I'm human. There are situations that, you know, heart-wrenching. But anytime you deal with kids, it's touching. Anytime. But when asked whether he thinks it's unfair, as advocates charge, to deport people who've been here 10, 20 years paying taxes and raising American children, Williams brings up the wait list in countries across the world for would-be immigrants to come to the U.S. legally. So is it fair to have individuals who are here illegally jump over those folks who have been waiting all this time? I, I don't think so. What would you tell all those family members out there that are waiting, you know? At 26 Federal Plaza, Abe is fingerprinted and photographed. But Williams has discretion over whether or not to detain him. And because Abe is the sole breadwinner and does not seem likely to hide, Williams sends him home. He'll wear an electronic ankle bracelet and report weekly to immigration. Fatima has only to report every month. Sitting on their couch some weeks later, the two say they're making a last-ditch effort to reopen their cases, anything to delay being sent home to Morocco.
I do this mistake. It's a big mistake what I did. It's a crime. So I'm paying for it. But I can't go to Morocco. Until now, the couple had never told their children they were here illegally. But the older girl, Selma, says she figured it out when she heard them say deportation in Arabic. Because sometimes, to be honest, I eavesdrop on what they're saying on the phone in Arabic. So I just ran and looked, up, looked it up in the dictionary, and I just kept it to myself and then they, until they told us. Selma says she hasn't told a single friend. I'm 12. I don't know about this stuff yet. I'm not old enough to go through this yet. I don't think I have any family in Morocco, so we don't know who we're going to live with, and we don't know who's going to take care of us. And neither do her parents. Where is home? Back home where? Those girls have a right to a life, a basic life, that they will not have at all back home. There are many more layers to this story, but under current immigration law, none are relevant. Abe and Fatima are fugitive aliens. They lost their right to stay in the U.S. when they were convicted of immigration fraud. As things stand, Abe and Fatima are likely to be deported, and they'll have to decide whether or not to take their American daughters with them. Deportations Before Reform, Anatomy of an Immigration Bust, was reported and produced by Marianne McCune and edited by Karen Frillman for WNYC Radio. In following up with Marianne, we learned that the day before Abe's scheduled deportation, he took off his ankle bracelet and fled with his family. No one knows where they are. You're listening to Best of the Best, the 2011 Third Coast Festival broadcast. I'm Gwen Maxi. The Third Coast International Audio Festival is an independent arts organization in Chicago. Our work is made possible with lead funding from the Richard H. Driehaus Foundation and the John D. and Catherine T. MacArthur Foundation. This hour showcases winners of our annual Richard H. Driehaus Foundation competition. But you can listen all year long to our weekly radio show, ReSound, on our website, thirdcoastfestival.org. Later in this hour, our Gold Award winner... But first, the story of a congressional race, shifting loyalties, political infighting, and a lifelong friendship that couldn't take the heat. Stay tuned. Best of the Best is produced by the Third Coast Festival and distributed by PRX, the public radio exchange. Hi, I'm Katie Mingle, producer of the Third Coast Resound. And I'm Julie Shapiro, Third Coast Artistic Director. Together, Katie and I make up exactly one half of the Third Coast staff. And today, we're sneaking into our annual Best of the Best broadcast to thank all of our pals out there who listen to ReSound every week, who come to our listening rooms all over the place, and who drop by thirdcoastfestival.org to check out the nearly 1,000 stories posted there. Third Coast was launched at WBEZ 11 years ago, and now we're a fully independent, nonprofit organization made possible with support from listeners in Chicago and far beyond, like you. Hint, hint. <laughs> Sign up for our email list, subscribe to the Third Coast podcast, and check out holiday gifts in our shop at thirdcoastfestival.org. Welcome back to the 2011 Third Coast Festival broadcast. I'm Gwen Maxi. Next up, the Bronze Award. People like Rich Carlson have been tarred and feathered for advancing liberty the way he best sees fit. Politics have been known to muddy the waters of idealism and change 
and progress, and even friendship. In the 2010 congressional race in Petoskey, Michigan, the water started churning when a formerly Democratic Senate seat went up for grabs. Now remember, this was just when the Tea Party movement was gathering steam. Enter the main characters of our next story. Two men, old friends, who were swept up in all the excitement of the changing political landscape. Producer Ben Calhoun won the Third Coast Bronze Award for Patriot Games, which we bring you in three excerpts. Rich is a tower of a human being, a bulky six foot four. Though because he's so good natured, he manages to be huge without ever seeming threatening. Rich, who's pushing 50, was born and raised in Petoskey, and for years he made his living there selling construction supplies. Though in 2009, with the recession, business had gotten really bad. It was around that time that Rich started talking to his friend, a guy named Tom, about starting a tea party. Tom and I have been uh, have been friends since uh, kindergarten. And so um, how long of a friendship is that? <laughs> certainly, certainly a long time. Uh, uh, many, 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 many fishing stories and deer hunting stories and uh, Boy Scout campfire stories and everything else together. So the first guy I called was Rich. This is Tom Sweenor. So sometime in... March said, we got to do something, even if it's just three guys, you know, go do something, protest, something, something. Because I was tired of yelling at my TV. You've probably heard that a lot. So Rich and Tom form a tea party, and it's going really well. There's a lot of momentum and excitement about the Republican candidate, Dan Beneshek. He isn't totally aligned with the Tea Party agenda, but he's the closest thing they've seen in a long time, and the conservatives and Petoskey are psyched. Then an independent candidate enters the picture, and things get complicated. So late this summer, the race for Michigan's first district was chugging along. And one day, Rich Carlson gets a phone call. One day, my, I'm on the back deck of my condo, beautiful summer day. Cell phone rings, and I answer the phone, and I end up uh, listening to about 20 minutes of, uh, of uh, somebody selling me on the fact of their core values and principles and what's wrong with the country and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The guy on the phone was a guy named Glenn Wilson. Wilson is a self-made millionaire who owns a telephone and internet company. Basically, Wilson was telling Rich he was thinking about getting in the race as an independent, running on a lot of Tea Party-type ideas. He was also saying he'd be willing to throw his own money into the campaign so he wouldn't be some marginal third-party guy. At this point, Rich had been appointed president of the Petoskey Tea Party. Not only that, he'd co-founded an umbrella group for Tea Party groups all across northern Michigan, which was called the Northern Michigan Liberty Alliance. That day, Wilson was trying to persuade Rich to join his campaign, and Rich was up for it. I had a candidate that uh, was viable, that had the financial horsepower to do it, um, could raise money, and had good core ideals. Rich says he was convinced. Wilson was just a better embodiment of Tea Party ideals, so he went with the Tea Party philosophy, principle over party. Forget who's the most electable. If you get lousy service at a restaurant or a store and you continue to go there all the time, do you think that that store or restaurant is ever going to change their level of service? No. If we just keep on voting the same way and just going with those two choices, are the parties ever going to change? No, they're not. So now there are two conservative candidates on the scene, Republican Dan Beneshek and Independent Glenn Wilson. Most of the Petoskey Tea Party is still backing Beneshek, 
So Rich's decision to manage Wilson's campaign causes a huge uproar because Wilson could split the conservative vote and ultimately lose the race to the Democrats. As a result, Tom and Rich, who co-founded the Tea Party and have been friends since kindergarten, are no longer speaking. When we re-enter the story, the Tea Party is meeting to try to come to some agreement about what to do and who to support going forward. Do not implode on each other. That's my concern is we're all sitting there trying to poke each other in the eye saying, you're wrong, no, you're wrong, no, you're wrong. We can't do that anymore. <laughs> and Chad, if you want to vote for a third-party candidate, you know what, that's your zen. You know, that's what you, you, you know, but the bottom line is don't sit there and poke each other in the eyes. We're not making any ground. Well, I, 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 I'd say this, and I, I agree with what you, what you said. The attacks on people... People like Rich Carlson have been tarred and feathered for advancing liberty the way he best sees fit. If we all want to vote for Dan Beneshek, the Republican, great. But if 10%, 15% want to advance liberty and, and they're sick of the two-party system, fine. That's their call. The GOP has only itself to blame for people looking elsewhere. For years, they have thrown liberty under the bus. After about five hours of this... Someone from the Glenn Wilson campaign, that's Rich's guy, they whispered to me that Glenn was outside and he wanted to talk to me. I walked out and around the corner to the parking lot where Glenn's campaign bus was idling. It's this big silver deal with a huge photo of Glenn's face and a big bald eagle on the side. A couple days before all this, I'd spent a day on the bus. And just to give you a little sense of him, Glenn's in his 40s, but he looks 30. And he drinks Mountain Dew relentlessly. I saw him drink seven or eight cans in an afternoon. Hey, what's up, you guys? How you been? Hey, Ben, long time no see. Yeah, hey, how are you? So the tea party break up? So what's up? Are we on the air? Yeah, I thought that's what you wanted. I know, shut it off for a minute. Okay. In ten years of covering politics, I've never had any politician do something quite as bizarre as what Glenn Wilson did next. He told me he wanted to fire Rich. Then he asked me what I thought of it. I told him that I didn't have an opinion, and even if I did, it wouldn't be appropriate for me to share it. And then I told him that if this is why he called me out there, I would need him to say it on tape. If if that's what you you wanted to tell me, then then we're rolling. I think I need to relieve Rich of his position as campaign manager. uh, install a new campaign manager we need to find a campaign manager that's able to organize and manage in a much more efficient way than Rich can or has well when are you going to tell him as soon as he comes out of this meeting after the meeting Wilson grabbed Rich and he led him down a hallway past the hotel bar into a small conference room I waited in the hall. Back on the bus, Glenn had shown me the campaign calendar and said he was going to fire Rich because he hadn't set up enough events. What I didn't say to him then was that I'd spent time with the other campaigns and their schedules weren't very different, though maybe Glenn was just too inexperienced to know that. After about ten minutes, Glenn walked out. As he passed me, he winked and said, Thanks, have a good one. So I went to talk to Rich. Yes, sir. Hey. Yes. How's it going? Wonderful. Am I on tape? 
Okay, good. Glenn had taken away Rich's briefcase, computer, and his phone, which all belonged to the campaign. And Rich stood there, packing his things into a plastic shopping bag. Total surprise to me, so... It has nothing to do with uh, uh, politics, just organization. So that's the way it goes. Well, well I... But so, just can you can you tell me about the conversation that you just had? No. Why not? Uh, in a maybe in a day or two, I can sure. It just happened moments ago, so I'm I'm tired. I've had a long day, and I'm looking forward to going home. I I have to say, I feel I feel really bad for you. No, don't 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 feel bad for me at all. No. Rich had lost the Tea Party group he'd started the year before. He'd lost his best friend. And now, he'd just lost the job he'd given it all up for. Well, I, I mean, you seem like you've given up a lot to be doing what you're doing right now. More than what most people realize. And so but I, I still believe in the cause. By, what do you mean? Well, I believe that it's very important to, to push forth an independent candidate. It's no. Am I am I crushed or disappointed? Yeah, I'm disappointed. I couldn't see it to the end, but I'll still be involved. You know, I'm still supportive of it. Still supportive of the campaign. I think it's great to give people a viable option besides the, two, the normal two-party system. For once, they've got somebody that's running that can actually win this thing. A couple days after he got fired. I met with Rich one more time before leaving Michigan, just to talk about how he was feeling and what was happening now. Then, while we were sitting there, Rich got a phone call. Local tea party. Sorry. The call was from a guy named Tony Cutler, a campaign staffer for the Republican candidate, Dan Beneshek. Tony, how you doing? Richard, what are you doing? <laughs> you don't want to know. What? I heard you were released from the Glenn Wilson L douchebag. How how are you, Ben? Well, good. How are you? I'm doing great. Released. We uh we uh we had a difference of opinions. How about if I leave it at that? So let's get you let's get you out on the side of uh, bashing him by saying you you left him and are against his campaign, and we'll make you look good for for leaving, and you know we'll spin him. Tony gave me permission to broadcast this conversation, though he asked that I say that he was not calling Rich on behalf of the Beneshek campaign, which seemed like a strange request because in the call, it was pretty clear that he was. He was telling Rich that Rich had put out a press release and he should lie. He should say that he hadn't been fired. Instead, he'd quit out of principle because Wilson was going to be a spoiler. Yeah, that's something you and I probably need to talk about. That's probably something you and I need to talk about. Okay, well, I, I, we need to talk about it right this second because I've got people writing two stories. I got we got Benishek people writing the story saying you were fired to make it look like Glenn Wilson doesn't know what he's doing, or we can make it look like you realize that this guy's no good, he has no vision, he's only in it for himself, and you were supporting him on principle, and now that he's abandoned his principles, let's. Uh, Let's get the GOP elected and the party back on track. 
Because I want to try to save your your image as much as we can here. Right. The, the, the article will be written by the news. It'll read that, you know, Wilson fires his top aide, and he'll get to control the story by saying, you know, ah, he didn't know what he was doing. Yes. Or you come out, I can get you in contact with the press people, and you can come out as the guy saying, you know, this is not what it's about. Slowly, over the course of the next 15 minutes, Rich caved. He said he didn't want to be part of anything that criticized Glenn Wilson, but he would go along with Tony's plan to put out something saying Wilson was a spoiler for conservatives and he should drop out. Okay. Yeah, you can you you can craft that, and are, are you gonna are you gonna say that the Benishek campaign talked to me? Yeah. Okay. All right. I'll keep in touch with you today. Please do. Thank you. See ya, bye. After he hung up, I asked Rich about what he'd said to me before. All the things about principle over party. We went back and forth again and again because he was saying these totally contradictory things. One minute, he'd say the thing he'd been telling me all along. Tea Party people need to be independent, even if that means spoiling races for Republicans. Then the next minute, he'd say the thing he'd agreed to with Tony that Wilson would be a spoiler and he should get out. First and foremost, I don't want to see the Democrats take this seat. But essentially what you had said to me before was if an independent candidate with better core values stopped the GOP from winning this race, that by the, by the numbers, by the math, they should win, then they would have incentive to listen to folks in the liberty movement. Unfortunately, um, that... <laughs> I'm not being given that opportunity anymore by the Wilson campaign. Wait, I don't understand what you're saying. Well, we've reached a decision that I'm no longer with the campaign, so that is not an option for me anymore on a personal level. But but it, that doesn't affect how you feel about it, right? Maybe you and I should discuss this a little bit without the microphone being on. I guess I'm trying to understand which direction you're taking here. I'm just trying to rectify what you said to me. You were saying that you're not saying he should pull out, but essentially what you just told Tony was that he should pull out. But I still believe that he probably should stay in the race just to rub it in the Republicans' nose. Just personally? Yeah, personally. But if I have a future in politics, uh, don't you think it's wise that I, uh, that I say, hey... Um, I got out of it, and he continued on. You know what's funny? I feel like that's the most cynical thing I've heard you say. Is that cynical? <laughs> Is that cynical? Well, a little bit, don't you think? I think that's reality. Not ten hours later, I got an email from the Dan Beneshek campaign. It was a forwarded press release with Rich's name on it. It read, quote, Congressional candidate Glenn Wilson is running without the support of his top aide today. Campaign manager Rich Carlson made the decision to step down from the top post as a result of a difference in opinions with the candidate. A couple weeks after all this happened, Rich told me he still feels like he did the right thing. He said if anything's changed, it's that he's not sure how much he wants to be involved in politics. I asked both Rich and Tom the other day if they'd started talking again, and they both said no. 
When I asked each of them if they were planning to call, they also gave me the same answer. Each said they weren't going to, because they weren't the person who did something wrong. Patriot Games. This year's Bronze Award winner was produced by Ben Calhoun with editors Julie Snyder and Ira Glass for This American Life from WBEZ Chicago. The judges who chose this piece for an award were particularly impressed with the amount of access Ben was granted in his reporting. We talked to Ben about the story and how he was able to cultivate so much trust. The first day that I I showed up in Michigan, I went to the meeting for the chapter that that Rich and Tom, the one they'd founded together, and um, I'm sitting next to the the person that's replaced Rich because they've kicked Rich out at this point. I'm sitting next to him, and he's got an email in front of him that it goes out to the whole group, and it's all about how none of them should trust me and nobody is allowed to talk to me. <laughs> so I was like sitting at this table and I was like, well, boy, I have a, I really have an uphill slog on this one. <laughs> but, you know, I feel like there was a lot of just sort of like taking the time to listen to to them. And I think that that's a big part of what was going on with the whole Tea Party thing is that people felt like they weren't being listened to. And if you listen to their in a genuine way, they sort of would meet you on on different terms. And I feel like that that's a lot of what happened. Then a lot of it was just time. I mean, I was I was with Rich pretty much all day long, every day for a week, which is how long I was there. And have they heard the final piece? And did they have any uh, comments about it? Yeah, I have heard from everybody in the story, with the exception of Rich, which um, makes me kind of sad. But I've heard from like Chad Stevens and. Tom and I've heard from everybody in the story. I mean, it it felt like a huge victory when when they said to me that they felt like it was fair and even handed, and that they were really pleased with it, um, and that and that you know, kind of most of all, it was true to what had had happened. That was Ben Calhoun, winner of this year's Third Coast Bronze Award. To listen to a longer version of my interview with Ben Calhoun and the full version of Patriot Games, visit our website thirdcoastfestival.org. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You're listening to Best of the Best, the 2011 Third Coast Festival broadcast. 
I'm Gwen Maxi. The Third Coast International Audio Festival is an independent arts organization in Chicago. Our work is made possible with lead funding from the Richard H. Driehaus Foundation and the John D. and Catherine T. MacArthur Foundation. This hour showcases winners of our annual documentary awards, but you can keep up with Third Coast all year long by signing up for our email list at thirdcoastfestival.org. Coming up, a story so out there we're not even supposed to play it for you, but we will. Best of the Best is produced by the Third Coast Festival and distributed by PRX, the public radio exchange. Hi, I'm Katie Mingle, producer of the Third Coast Resound. And I'm Julie Shapiro, Third Coast Artistic Director. Together, Katie and I make up exactly one half of the Third Coast staff. And today, we're sneaking into our annual Best of the Best broadcast to thank all of our pals out there who listen to Resound every week, who come to our listening rooms all over the place, and who drop by thirdcoastfestival.org to check out the nearly 1,000 stories posted there. Third Coast was launched at WBEZ 11 years ago, and now we're a fully independent, nonprofit organization made possible with support from listeners in Chicago and far beyond, like you. Hint, hint. <laughs> Sign up for our email list, subscribe to the Third Coast podcast, and check out holiday gifts in our shop at thirdcoastfestival.org. Welcome back to Best of the Best, the 2011 Third Coast Festival broadcast. I'm Gwen Maxi. Come on, man. I hear you guys selling those tote bags. Can't Jay Thunderbolt get a little tote bag money? As a public radio veteran, I really want to salute our, our Gold Award winner because it is so fantastically unpublic radio. There are no suffering migrant workers. There are no trenchant social themes or pressing problems. It isn't even quirky. That was Peter Sagal, host of our awards ceremony, getting ready to hand out the Richard H. Treehouse Foundation Competition Gold Award, which means we've come to the best of the best of the best. Of the 300 entries from around the world, the judges unanimously chose this next story for their top prize. Every single judge felt that this story was a groundbreaker, like nothing they'd ever heard before, in style, in content, and form. Not only is the main character of the story very unusual, to put it mildly, but the entire sound design of this piece reflects the content and rhythm of his provocative language, philosophy, and intensity. It's the story of Jay Thunderbolt, a guy straight out of a Quentin Tarantino film. The Wisdom of Jay Thunderbolt was produced by Nick Vanderkolk and Brendan Baker with Nick Williams. A warning, the story does contain some mature content. Excuse me. Bad sinuses. Gunshot. Yeah, do you mind if I ask you about that? What what happened? 11 years old. Wrong time, wrong place. Where'd you get shot in the face? Through the mouth. Smashed all the teeth. Hit the jawbone. Tapped the carotid artery. And I spent 33 days in the ICU. This guy's name was Janos Sobjinsky. 
they smuggled him and his mom out of the pole. And the guy that shot you? No, the doctor that fixed me. Do you know who the guy that shot you was? Couldn't tell you. He's coming home. Uh, we had martial law in the town back then, police state. Ten o'clock, he had to be off the streets. Well, I was allowed 10.30, even by the cops. I'm white. I stick out a little bit. Going home one night, kid jumps out from the alley. This close. You're dead. Boom. I laid in the alley for an hour. Before finally this black lady in the second floor apartment said, I think he, I think there's something wrong. So, Noah. Yeah. Can you describe what Thunderbolt's house looked like after we arrived? Um... It's got like this, this like 70s furniture that's really well worn. The carpet's all uh, kind of matted down. It's got this really nice table in the corner, like a six-legged table or something that he, he brought up how his parents had handed that down to him with the house. It's, he's got a, a computer to the right of one couch that he puts up a slideshow of uh, girls doing shows and uh, he's got a coffee table in front of us with uh, ashtrays and maybe a, a coffee cup that hasn't been washed yet. Dimly lit. I think he had like the curtains closed on all the windows, so there was some sun coming through. Kind of dim and dusty. It didn't seem like it didn't smell like there was like stains on the floor. It just smelled like it had been lived in and an air was hadn't been going through there for a long time. So it's just kind of claustrophobic I don't know and just who is he what does he do Jay runs a strip club out of his house good afternoon Thunderbolt Entertainment hi Derrico say hi guys hey hey other than owning the strip club fake strip club he is the bouncer he's the DJ accountant Basically, he's the party planner. He does everything. You guys got any money on you? You want some dances? Besides the dancing. I'm trying to start. Chicken suckers, aren't you? No, they don't want any dances. Give me a call in two hours, dear. Because I'm going to throw them the out when this bottle of. This bottle's almost gone now. Alright. Bye. Back in the day, mixed Labrador Doberman. His name was Abraham. The great thing about Abraham was he was a big boy. He used to be a uh, butcher shop at the corner. Abraham used to get the bone. He chewed that bone in two days. He chewed that bone two days. The great thing about Abraham was inside nicest dog in the world. Unless you try to come too close to my mother. My uncle would come over. He'd lick all the aftershave off. The 
But then when my uncle went to go give my mom a hug, Abraham would lean up against my uncle Jim and go, He was extremely protective. This is my memory of the first conversation I had with Jay Thunderbolt. Thunderbolt. Thunderbolt Entertainment. Vanderkolk. Hi, my name is Nick Vanderkolk. I'm calling from a public radio station in Chicago. Yeah? I read the article about you in the Metro Times. I'm going to be in Detroit this weekend, and I was wondering if you'd have a couple of hours to sit down for an interview. Great. How much are you going to pay me? Well, we can't actually pay interview subjects. We're a nonprofit public radio station. Come on, man. I hear you guys selling those tote bags. Can't Jay Thunderbolt get a little tote bag money? So I'll be in town about midday on Saturday. Is there a time after that that would work for you? I can work around your schedule. Tell you what, Nick. Give me a call when you get to town. We'll see if I'm in the mood. But I've got to tell you, if you come with some money, I'll definitely be in the mood. Great. Well, let me give you my number in no, case you no, need to... No, no, no. Don't give me your f***ing number. You're trying to date me, not the other way around, remember? You have to chase after me. Don't forget that. Okay, so I'll give you a call on Saturday. Okay. Come on, Nick. All right. I'm going to turn this off. Well, do you have any questions for me before we get started, or? No. All right. I tried to tell you the other day when you called. It's good to bring money. Let me, I'll, I'll tell you what. Why don't I have Noah go grab us some beers? I'm not drinking beer. I drink tequila. Okay. You want to go grab some tequila? Sure. You want to borrow a pistol? You want to borrow a vest? Mother and father like what you do for a living. Yeah, they, they listen to public radio, so, you know. Are they NPR fans? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You listen to NPR at all? No. Fine. It's pretty boring. What were your parents like? Dad was an ex-Marine. He didn't marry my mom until he was 42. I think my mom was 20. My mom, I got a picture of her somewhere. You know, up against a 52 Chevy Coupe. Mm-hmm. What a fright streak. Cat's eye glass. I'm like, who's the girl with all the legs? That's me. That's who? You? Yeah, that's me. Oh my god, damn, Dad, you lucked out, didn't you? Good thing you bought a Corvette that year. Did you grow up in a rough neighborhood? Marlboro was. That was an education. It was like hell. 860 kids, there's only 25 white kids. So I kind of knew racism from a different angle. Every day was a course in survival. They were packing us in 39 to a classroom. One time I had two guys hold me. One guy beat me from the back, another guy beat me from the front. That was three days out of school. I got Cazodre's. I don't know how my bosses would feel about this. Hey, sir. <clears throat> I'm going to 
Cheers, boys. Here's Cheers. working at you. Cheers. Cheers to meet you. You ain't left the house yet. Be careful, Noah. What do you do for a woman, Noah? Uh, nursing. Mom and Dad must be happy that you don't have to be on their Blue Cross card anymore. <laughs> right, exactly. I have a different Blue Cross card. What's yours look like? It's not like that. Hey, this is Nick again. You know, I, I hate interrupting like this, uh, but uh, what's not actually clear from the tape is that at this stage, uh, Jay is taking out a gun and is now pointing it about two inches from my face. Here it is again. I have a different Blue Cross card. What's yours look like? It's not like that. <laughs> that was so a what is that? It. 38. It's a 38? Something's got P-loads in it. How long have you been carrying that around for? I've been licensed to carry a gun since I got out of the service. You were in the service? Where'd you find? I was with 160 Assort. Special Operations Armed Response. I can't really tell you. How about this? When Reagan was in office, I did a lot of Southern Hemisphere work. Yeah, cheers. Cheers. Up and down, in and out. That was the beginning of the wisdom of Jay Thunderbolt, the 2011 Third Coast Gold Award winner. It was produced by Nick Vanderkolk and Brendan Baker with Nick Williams for the Love and Radio podcast from Chicago Public Media. I sat down with Nick Vanderkolk and asked him what attracted him to this unconventional character and what he wanted listeners to take away from the story. Oh, I, I definitely don't want them to come away with any particular thing. I think that's, I think that's cheating. I think oftentimes when you hear uh, a story on the radio, there is this emphasis on the host or the narrator explaining what does this all mean. And I, I like the ambiguity, and I like people to walk away with whatever piece I'm doing with different interpretations of it. What I find interesting is the fact that, that Jay has these multiple roles. He has to simultaneously keep people in line and show them a good time. He needs to tell them, hey, if you hang out with me, you're going to have a blast. But if you cross a line, I'm going to rip your throat out. And so, I mean, that to me is is a tension that I just find really fascinating. There's a documentary filmmaker by the name of Victor uh, Kosakowski who has these rules for documentary film and w- the one that sticks out for me is uh, uh, don't film something you just hate. Uh, don't film something you just love. Film when you aren't sure if you hate it or love it. Doubts are crucial for making art. Film when you hate and love at the same time. So what can people expect uh, when they go and listen to the unedited version in the last part of the story? Uh, I think the listener will get a better understanding of Jay as a much more complicated character than what they've heard in the first part of the piece. And I'll leave it at that. 
That was Nick Vanderkolk, winner of this year's Third Coast Festival Gold Award. To hear my entire interview with Nick, plus the full unbleeped, unedited version of The Wisdom of Jay Thunderbolt, visit our website, thirdcoastfestival.org. Radio, or the voice, uh, predates writing, so it's the most ancient way of making story. Uh, we've found out how to, to make it travel through the air, which is uh, magic. When the Third Coast first started, podcasts didn't even exist. Fast forward a decade, and a podcast has won our top prize, the Gold Award. No doubt that the technology around us continues to evolve, but great storytelling remains constant. And one thing you can depend on, no matter how or where we find them, the Third Coast Festival will continue to bring great stories to your door. Or computer. Or iPod. Or whatever other contraption we've yet to imagine. You've been listening to Best of the Best, the 2011 Third Coast Festival broadcast. I'm Gwen Maxi. Thanks for joining us. The program was produced by Katie Mingle with assistance from Jennifer Brandel and distributed by PRX, the public radio exchange. The executive director of the Third Coast Festival is Johanna Zorn. The artistic director is Julie Shapiro. Special thanks to Jay Allison for his voice of radio wisdom. The Third Coast Festival is made possible with support from Third Coast Percussion, presenting a free concert Sunday, December 11th at the Chicago Cultural Center. The program explores the relationship between music and architecture and features the music of John Cage and Steve Reich. For more details, visit thirdcoastpercussion.org. The Third Coast International Audio Festival is an independent arts organization made possible with lead funding from the Richard H. Driehaus Foundation and the John D. and Catherine T. MacArthur Foundation. Additional support is provided by the Boeing Company Charitable Trust, the Agadino Foundation, Chicago's Navy Pier, and American Airlines. The festival is supported in part by a grant from the Illinois Arts Council, a state agency. Special thanks to our many individual contributors from Chicago and around the world. The Third Coast Festival was founded in 2000 by WBEZ Chicago. For more stories galore, pictures from the award ceremony, and information about our year-round audio festivities, visit thirdcoastfestival.org. You've been listening to the Third Coast Podcast. Now that it's over, here are a few suggestions. Become our fan on Facebook. Write us a review on iTunes. Buy a t-shirt in our merch shop or make a donation to support what we do at thirdcoastfestival.org. Thanks for listening. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, 
Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.